desires we've gone through the book of Philippians is that very theme that we would have Christ living in us and through us that others would see Christ in us and the reminder from the book is for that to happen we need each other we're better together I'm grateful for uh, being led in worship this morning I would guess we've probably all had the experience of, I don't know, walking in a store and you overhear someone talking a little loudly. For some reason, they think like everybody's supposed to be involved in this conversation. I must admit there's times where I've like responded to them, although they're not talking to me. They seem to be talking for everybody to hear it. And you you hear a part of the conversation you wanted to say, you know, well, tell them I said bye because, you know, I'm I'm right here and have heard every word, but it's one-sided, so you don't always know what's going on on the other side of the phone. What does happen sometimes is you'll be in the presence of a family member where you you do know the other person on the other end of the phone, and so you kind of have more of a glimpse into what this whole conversation's about, even though you only hear one side, one particular person. So much of the the New Testament especially are these kind of I don't know, one-sided conversations. We read of a letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, and we don't know all of the background, all the detail all the time uh, of what was going on and what prompted him to write. So some of that is speculation. Some of that we know a little bit more because we can put together other clues from other books. But even though they are one-sided, there's still so much we can hear, so much that I think God would teach us in these conversations, in these letters, and particularly the letter of Philippians. So today... I'd like for us to read Philippians 2, and we'll begin in verse 19. And I've asked uh, Angela Stankas to come up and read this morning. And as you hear this story and as you hear some of the names and kind of this one-sided conversation, let's be brought into this great story uh, that God wants us to hear. Angela, come read for us. I hope in the Lord, Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister in my need. For he has been longing for you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Thank you for reading. If we transport ourselves into this 
relationship of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and the Philippians. I think what we'll see in this passage is it divides into a portion of Scripture about Timothy, which is verses 19 to 24, and a portion of Scripture about Epaphroditus, verses 25 to 30. So I think it's a neat division, and we can kind of dig into both of these characters that Angela just read about. I think they're more than simple descriptions. So again, this is a one-sided conversation, and there's some background that we need so what's going on with Timothy? Paul mentions him. This is the, uh, the second time he's mentioned him in the book. If we kind of piece together, so again, if you're reading, if you piece together verse 19, Paul is hoping to send Timothy to the church at Philippi soon. That's what he says. He says something very similar in verse 23. He, he hopes to send him. And, and in verse 22, he, he lets us in on something else, and that is that the poli- people at Philippi would know Timothy is valuable, that he was... Uh, a worker for the Lord. You know his proven worth, Paul says. So Paul said, I, I'll send Timothy, but I need more clarity on how things are going to go with me. So, so what is Paul talking about, how things are going to go with him? Well, if, if you've been with us tracking through Philippians, what you recognize is Paul currently is in prison and, and there's really no guarantee he's going to get, be freed. He's in prison for preaching the message of Jesus Christ. And he has no, no guarantee, although he has confidence that he'll be let out of prison and he'll be able to resume ministry. And he says, I want to see how things are going to go with my imprisonment if I am released or it's literally life or death or if I'm executed before I make a decision to send him. But embedded in this backstory of Timothy, I find a pretty amazing description. The description that we just heard read of Timothy is one of selfless care for others. I, I, I want to give us just a couple of words, and maybe they're kind of ways we can hang our thoughts on these words to understand what kind of care did Timothy have? What is the description? What does Paul highlight for us? I think the first word I would use in describing this care is the word heart. Because this is, listen, in verse 20, it says, Paul Paul says, I don't have anybody like him. I don't have anybody like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For everyone else, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So there is a heart that Timothy has. And Paul says it's unique. It's a unique kind of heart. I don't have anybody else quite like him. And that he naturally, he naturally cares for you. He says everyone else, and I think that's, uh, I think we understand the way Paul is using it. He's not saying there's not one human being on the planet that cares about anything other than themselves. I think it's much more like this. Everybody, you know, everybody in these days seems to be only wrapped up in themselves. So Paul says, but not Timothy. He genuinely cares. If ever there's a situation that seems to mirror our own times, it's everybody is wrapped up into their own interests. Paul says, have you, have, you, have you seen Timothy? How much he cares. And there is this connection that I, I want you to see in Scripture. So in verse 20, Paul says, I don't have anybody like him. And he'll be genuinely concerned for your welfare, your interests. 
But in verse 21, he says, everybody else is concerned about their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. So Paul brings a couple things together that I think we need to be brought together. And that is, when we serve others, we are actually serving the interests of Christ. When we are serving, when we are pouring out our lives for others, we are pouring out our life for Jesus Christ. This is a remarkable example for us to follow. I, I, I want us to admire Timothy, but I'd rather us dig deeper into our lives and see, okay, what would it look like? What would it look like for you to live in such a way that this same thing could be said about you? They genuinely care for others. They're genuinely interested in the welfare of others. What might that look like as it, as it takes shape in your life? What if you were that friend that sticks closer than a brother? What if you are the person that happens to be on speed dial for a friend that is just going through it and is really hurting and broken? And whenever they think, I just can't deal with it all, they know they can call you because you genuinely care for others. What if you are the person, the, the confidant, who hears and who listens? And even in the hearing and the listening, you absorb the pain. And you don't gossip, but you do pray. And you pray a lot. You genuinely care for others. What if you are the person that makes meals, that sends texts, that gives generously, not because you're so rich, but because others matter to you so much? You can't bear for them to go through something without them knowing you care. You care. What if you prayed for someone? And you asked the Lord for something for someone that you care deeply about, and God answers that prayer. And that person is blessed because of it. I saw this come alive even to me yesterday. So yesterday afternoon, I'm studying and preparing. And really, uh, there are times if, if you've ever taught really anything, not just the Bible, if you've ever taught anything, you realize there's sometimes where scripture, where, where your outline and your organization all seems to come together really easily. And then there's sometimes when it doesn't. And yesterday, I began to sense, like, clarity on what God wanted me to share today. And I was so encouraged by that. And, and it was right in, that, right in that season where I realized, okay, so I feel like the Lord is giving me a burden to share with, with my church family tomorrow. That I got a text from a friend that said, you've been on my mind. I'm praying for you today, and I'm praying for what God may do tomorrow as we gather together. Someone on a Saturday afternoon that probably had tons of things to do, genuinely cared, and expressed that care. What if you were the person that confronts, not because you just relish being a jerk, but you see someone going down a road and you know where that road leads? And you know you could, like, excuse it and say, oh, well, Far be it from me, who am I to say? But you know where they're going, and it hurts so much. And so you, in a godly way, in a loving way, you, you begin to tell them, I'm just, I'm just concerned. I, I just wanted to bring something to your attention. And, like, there are very few points rewarded for that. 
It's much easier to duck out of that kind of thing. But what if you just genuinely care for the soul of someone else and you step in and you express that? You say, I, I just want, I want you to know I'm concerned and these are my concerns. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right, but I'm concerned enough where I wanted to tell you. What if that leads them to healthy change? What if you, what if you never get recognition for what you do? What if no one knows? What if no one ever sees, but you genuinely pour yourselves out, you're concerned for others? What if we were known not so much as the people who assert their rights but care for the needs of others? What if we were the ones that hang in there for tough times? What if this was just the culture of our church where to meet someone who calls Ogletown home is to meet someone who genuinely cares for others? It's like even if it's a even if it's something that we don't always talk about, it's always like the minimized window that's always running in the background. We care. We care for others. How beautiful it would be in a world that is just kind of over the top about saying, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. For us to embrace the message of Jesus, which is very, very different, that says it's actually all about him and others. It's all about him and it's all about others. What a difference it would be if we expressed that. I said the word heart, but I think that we can also, when we read the description further, we add the word time. So it certainly is, Timothy had a heart for people, he genuinely concerned, but there was also time. And I know that because it says Timothy had proven his worth. Paul would say, Paul would say to the Philippians, you know, Timothy, how his proven worth to the sake of Christ. What wasn't proven in a moment, it was proven over time. I think about that. It, it's almost as significant as the fact that he cares because we live, we live so much in an age of distraction. So this is what we'll do. We will drop everything and we will, we will see a good cause and we will be committed to it for about a weekend. Maybe a week. And we will feel so burdened about it. And, but that burden will be so temporary and then it's on to the next thing. But as you read about Timothy, you read of a person who cares. It, it goes far beyond just a temporarily burdened heart. And most of, the, most of the encouragement worth giving actually will require time. It will require patience and perseverance. And those things aren't going to be met in the next five minutes. It'll take weeks and months and years. You know his proven worth. So I'd say, let's just remind ourselves that often caring for others is a long-term project. So I'm looking, certainly looking at lots of parents in this room, grandparents in this room, and there are no shortcuts and there's no immediate things. You are, you are in it for the long haul and your worth will be proven over time, not, not just in one moment, but over time, not just the moment that you have the big high or the low where you get knocked down, but how, how long you persevere, how patient you are. I think of friendships. I got a text this week from a person I'm pretty sure I met when I was 12 or 13 years old. And that friendship means more to me than something that you just find yesterday. There, there's ways that this friendship encourages me that only, that, that, that really can't be replaced because there's so much time involved. 
I think of faithful discipleship, faithful teaching, faithful service behind the scenes. And we have to remember this promise from Galatians 6 that says, at the right time in due season, we will reap, we'll reap all the rewards of what we've sown if we don't, if we don't lose heart. If we don't get tired, do we have that long-term view? Timothy did. So there's heart and there's time, but then it's, it's also added on to that is relationship. And, and Paul says it in this way, like, as a son serves his father, that's how, how Timothy is served with me in the gospel. So this isn't just like Timothy is such a swell guy that he just is so nice to everybody. In just very generic ways, he's just a really, really nice person. Paul says, no, I felt it very personally. There's a relationship involved, and, and we care about each other. You know Timothy's proven worth. How is a son with a father, in verse 22, he has served me with the gospel. And I think about the way sons are meant to honor their fathers. They hold him in a place of honor. They, they think, like, is there anything I can do for my father, anything I can do for my dad? So many times in the New Testament, the writers have to use family language to get their point across. And here it is again. If you want to understand this relationship, you ought to know of a a, a son who is caring for his father in all the right ways. Can I ask the pointed question, does your Christian life resemble this? Heart and time and relationship. Are we pouring out our lives for others, serving others for the cause of of the message of Jesus. Are we faithful over time? I and mean, this is exactly what Paul was encouraging earlier in Philippians 2. Verse 3 says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is exactly what Paul was encouraging. And now he says, see it in Timothy's life. He cares about others. Praise God for so many that have shown this is how you live. Praise God for so many women in the congregation and men in the congregation that time has proven you care. Time has proven you value these kinds of relationships. Sometimes I wonder if even in the church we bought into a message of the world that says the only way you can really know you matter is if you have fame, if you have the approval by a bunch of people. Like if everybody seems to sit up and take notice for who you are, so I watch uh, documentaries and I, I see like little, when, when I'm watching sports, these little segments where they highlight someone in, in sports. And often the segment goes something like this. This person grew up in relative obscurity or poverty, but they found, they kind of clawed their way out of it through this great talent and a few breaks. And, and you hear them even verbalize it. Like, I, I, I just wanted to prove I'm something. I wanted to prove I matter. I wanted to prove that I could do something. Nobody said I could. All the doubters and the haters didn't think I could. But I've proven myself. And, and I want to say, yeah, but, but life isn't about, according to Jesus, that isn't, that isn't what shapes us is somehow proving ourselves. What matters to the Lord is that we're pouring out our lives to others, that we're serving him whether anybody recognizes us, whether we have that position of fame. What matters most is that we're pouring out our lives for others. How different the message of Jesus is that you need people to notice you. You need to be liked. You need to have fame. You need to prove yourself. And our church needs to hear this and our area needs to hear this. I think there are people that wonder, is it even possible that people will genuinely care for anything other than themselves?
And I wish I could say that your pastor is just such a prime example of caring for others. But this week has been so convicting because I've realized time and time again how easy it is to just look after my own interest. How easy it is to put myself at the center of the, the solar system and everything just seems to revolve around my feelings, my wants, my needs, my pressures. And I'm called to something very, very different. And Christian, I, I think our, our hearts can be stirred by the Holy Spirit this morning. Because of all people, Christians know what this service looks like. What it means to be genuinely concerned for others. And we know this because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is so much better of an example than even Timothy who laid aside all his own interests and selflessly served others, pouring out his heart, loving us, being faithful to the end. I think of Jesus' words in Luke 22 where he would even tell his disciples who were jockeying for a position, who were jockeying for like importance and authority and, and notoriety, and he would say, I am among you. Jesus saying this, I am among you as the one who serves. And then in John 13, he would pick up the towel and he wouldn't just talk big, but he would demonstrate how he would serve even as he washed dirty feet. And he would say in Mark 10, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even in Philippians 2, here he is, he identifies as a servant, ready to be humble, ready to serve ready to genuinely concern himself with the interest of others. Not so self-absorbed. If I think it's, it's nearly impossible to live a life free from just being all about me, I've got to look to Christ and say, you did a work on the cross that changed me from the inside out that I would live for others. There's another character. So there's Paul, but there's also in verse 25, there's the story of Epaphroditus. I want to just remind, our, remind us of that story again. So in verse 25, Paul is, and when we're brought again into a backstory, I, I think it necessary, Paul says, to send to you Epaphroditus. So he's actually going to precede Timothy coming. He says, Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger, minister to my need. For he's been longing for you all. He's been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, even near to death. Okay, what's the picture here? It's that the Philippians had sent Epaphroditus to Paul to, to communicate a message to him, perhaps even to give him money. And on the way, Epaphroditus got sick, near, nearly deathly ill. He says he's okay now. But he's actually worried that you're, you're worried about him. Paul says, God had mercy on Epaphroditus, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, that you may rejoice in seeing him again, that I may be less anxious, so receive him in the Lord with all joy. Honor men like him, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So where the Philippians wanted to care for Paul, but they couldn't, Epaphroditus stepped in. Paul says, affirm him, welcome him, receive him. 
He's the kind of person that risks everything for the work of God. So I would say that the church is sustained by people like Timothy that genuinely care for others. I think that goes in our church folds. But I think the church is propelled forward by people like Epaphroditus who are willing to risk for the cause of Christ, willing to go to harder places for the cause of Christ. I think of the way he's described normally when you get labeled, that's not a good thing. I don't care to be labeled generally. But Epaphroditus gets labeled. But all the labels are positive. So notice the labels that Paul pulls out in verse 25. He calls him, first of all, my brother. There's a family, a tight connection, spiritual DNA holding them together as family members. He calls him my fellow worker. We have something that we are like shoulder to shoulder working on. He's a fellow soldier. And Paul doesn't call many people that. But it recognizes something important. It's like, Paul's not playing games. There's nothing easy. He is, he is a soldier in the cause of Christ, advancing the mission, the message of who Jesus is. He says he's a messenger, your messenger, the carrier of important communication. He's a minister. He serves in a way that is worshipful to the Lord. What I love about the example of Epaphroditus is he thought, whatever the work of Christ takes, I'm I'm in. I'll do what it takes. Does that mean travel? I'll do it. Does that mean sacrifice? I'll give up what I need to give up for the cause of Christ. Does that mean connecting people, not leaving people in the dust, but communicating care and concern, connecting people together? Then I'll do it. The cause of Christ, if, if God calls, then I will go. I'm I'm convicted by this, but how beautiful it is in a world that says, play it safe, maximize your comfort, maximize your security. How amazing is it when Christians say, actually, my comfort and my security aren't the things that need to be maximized. What needs to be maximized is the glory of Christ. And if it means not being as comfortable or not feeling as relatively secure, I'll go, I'll go. So I must tell you, when I talk to people in our congregation that are praying seriously praying like, Lord, would you send me, whether it be a short term or a long term, would you send me to the nations to tell people about Christ? When I hear people talk about being a witness, a bold witness for Christ in the relationships in their neighborhoods, in where they work, I'm convicted, I'm pushed by this passage to say, church, how can we get behind those who feel compelled by grace to pursue the advance of the mission of God, whatever the cost? So when someone says, I feel like God is calling me to risk and to sacrifice and to travel even for the message of Christ, I want the pretty clear response of our church to be, we are behind you, we will support you, we will go with you, we care about God's mission advancing. May the church continue to grow. I, I, I recognize that the Holy Spirit can stir in us this heart of Epaphroditus. And maybe that will stir in very different ways. Maybe there will be those that decide today, I will risk for the gospel. I will not continue to play it safe. But isn't this just like our Lord and Savior Jesus? Isn't this just like what he did in the gospel? 
Don't you remember even earlier in this chapter in Philippians 2, it says he became obedient. You want to talk about risking your life and nearly dying. He became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. He was willing to go and put himself in a harm's way to be obedient to the will of God to further the work of God. I love the pictures of Timothy and Epaphroditus. But I think if we only see two characters in the story, we miss out on another important character. And for a few moments, I want to draw our attention to that character, and it's Paul. Because I think Paul would have a word to say, maybe not even specifically to everybody in the congregation, but especially, especially those that are the spiritual fathers and the spiritual mothers of our congregation. Certainly to the parents, the biological parents, certainly that, yeah. But I think to those who have spiritual influence and spiritual authority, those who are the teachers, those who are the leaders, those who are the small group leaders, those who are entrusted with God's people, those men and women, the spiritual moms and the spiritual dads that look at people and say, I'll take responsibility for you. I'll care for your soul. And there are so many, Ogletown's been blessed by so many of those people. But I want you to see how Paul cared Because I want to call us and and the the shepherds and the deacons and the teachers and the leaders, and I want to call us all, the, the spiritual moms and the spiritual dads, to see what Paul did. So Paul, first of all, models humility. I think it'd be easy to read this and not hear from Paul the authenticity and the transparency and even vulnerability that shines through this. So he will even say in this passage, I need encouragement. I want to be cheered by you. So Paul isn't like this bulletproof super-Christian that can never know what it's like to be disappointed or discouraged. But Paul models before the rest of the, the church at Philippi and before Timothy and before Epaphroditus that he has confidence in what God is doing. He admits even though he would be sorrowful if anything happened to Epaphroditus. He, he admits that he'll be less anxious when Epaphroditus gets back to Philippi and says everything's okay. So this is not a bulletproof individual. This is a person who could be sorrowful and anxious. He has real needs. He's not the guy that says, no no need to serve me. I'm just the servant of everybody else. There's no person in our congregation who is beyond the ministry of the body of Christ. So even as you are a leader, even as you are entrusted with responsibility for certain people, you need the ministry of of the body of Christ. I need the ministry of the body of Christ. And Paul models that humility so well. This is the kind of spiritual father and mothers we need. But then Paul models something else for us in this passage. He models affirmation. He's not flattering. But if you're a teacher, if you're a leader, if you're caring for the souls of others, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, you need to hear this. You need to see the way Paul models the affirmation. How he, how he says, I don't have anybody like Timothy. How he calls Epaphroditus a minister to his need and then a brother and a fellow worker. Man, nobody dies. Nobody dies of too much encouragement. Encouragement never comes at the worst time. You realize that, right? Do you call out in the people you see and the people that God has entrusted you with? Do you call out where you see them growing, where you say, I just want to say, five years ago, I'm not sure you would have handled that situation. Even five months ago, I think you were in a different place, but God's been at work and I'm so encouraged by what I see. I'm so encouraged by the faithfulness. No one else sees it, but I know you do it and I'm grateful for that. 
the leaders, the moms, the dads of our congregation, the ones who take spiritual accountability for people, do, do you model this? Do you encourage this? This is the kind of spiritual fathers and mothers we need. Paul sees a bigger picture. I'm just struck that he is juggling not just church at Philippi, but Ephesus and Corinth and Rome and everybody else, but he sees what Epaphroditus needs, and he sees what Timothy needs, and he sees what the church at Philippi needs, and he recognizes what he needs, and he realizes God has this big story, and he is weaving those pieces together, and Paul sees a bigger picture and, and, and connects individual roles and individual people with this bigger picture, and I think leaders were called to do that. We're called to see the bigger picture of what God is doing and see where God might be using him and her and God might be using them and, and see how he brings these things together. A bigger agenda in putting together how God is at work. A bigger agenda in seeing how God uses pain to advance his mission. And encouraging each other with that. I also see that Paul has an ambition for the gospel. May the spiritual moms and dads of our congregation have the same level of ambition for the gospel. May I have that. I feel like at times my passion is not the same. Paul cares. He knows Jesus Christ has interest. He says, not everybody seeks those interests. He knows Jesus Christ is building his church. He has ambition for the gospel to go. Jesus Christ to be known. And Paul has tons of influence. There's few people in the New Testament that would have more. Under Jesus Christ, I mean, it's hard for me to name one that would have shaped more of Christianity than the Apostle Paul. And yet what he does with that influence is not use it to like advance himself, but he uses it to serve others and advance the gospel. So we name characters like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, and I think all they are is just stories of marginal interest unless you realize, unless you realize that they are part of a story that you are involved in. That God is working out his story, not just with them, but with us. I think when we begin to feel a connection to what God was doing in that early church, I think we'll be motivated and moved to action. If we begin to get a picture of, okay, so a man died and he rose again. We celebrated it last week. And there were messengers of this man, followers of this man, that decided to go all over the known world and share the message that there was a man who died, and he died for sins. But he's raised to life, and God has exalted him. And every knee should bow to him. And they would go to cities, and they would share that message. And because God's word is powerful, because the Spirit of God was working, people would also repent and turn and follow and obey and become followers of Jesus, and they would gather together, and they would be bonded together as, as, as a relationship, as a church. And they would appoint leaders, and they would be driven by a message. And you know what they would do? They would say, we got to share this message in other places. So they would send people out with a message of Jesus to go to other cities, to go to other areas, and they would tell the message of Jesus. There was a, a man who is dead, but he's alive, and he reigns, and he rules, and every knee must bow to him. Church, what Ogletown is not about is just managing a religious organization with programs that might interest you and the community. 
we've been entrusted with the message of Jesus Christ, that God himself came to earth and died for sinners, sinners just like you and me, and sinners just like are outside these doors. We're called to share that message. We encourage and we equip and we support and we send and we go. And if you've been part of this church for a long time, I just want to remind you again, this is what we're all about. And if you're new to our church, I just want to remind you again, this is what we're all about. We are connected, not just to a religious organization, but to the mission of Jesus Christ. And God will use people like Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul and hundreds of people in this room and he will build his church and advance his message. May God give us grace to say, whatever you want, Lord, I will use my life serving others so that I might serve you. Can I ask you to bow your head? Lord, it is no longer I, it's no longer us, but Christ that lives in us. I pray we would be dedicated and committed and encouraged by what you've done for us. We could never repay. But I pray we would live out of gratitude. It's Timothy that genuinely cared for others than is Epaphroditus who was risking his life for the work of Christ. May that be said of each of us in our own ways. Or this morning, may we not see our, our limitations as complete obstacles and barriers for us serving you. May we see a path forward of making disciples. We'll make disciples. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.